Hello and welcome to another podcast brought to you by Life Community Church, Leamington Spa. Recorded at one of our Sunday morning services, we hope this message inspires, equips and encourages you to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Doesn't this guy look cool? We say it every week. No, no dicky bow today, David. <laughs> You've let us down. We're used to the dicky bow. How are we all doing this morning? We good, yeah. For those that don't know me, I'm, my name's Dave. I'm one of the leaders here, and it's great to see you with us. Um, today we're fi- finishing our three-part mini-series called Worship and Wonder. So if you've not heard any of the others before today, then please feel free to catch up on our podcast, on our, on our website, www.life-cc.org, and you can catch up there. But don't worry if you've not um, listened to them before, because they'll be giving a quick recap today. Um, but just really excited about church, Easter, everything that's happening. Um, it's good to be excited about the future, isn't it? But it's also important to be excited about the present because God always builds from the present. Sometimes we can be so future-bound that we don't accept or appreciate what's happening now. And God's doing a new thing now. God wants to do a new thing in your life today. Amen? He really does. He's the God of the now, but he sees the future and walks to the future. Um, so we've got lots of things happening at Easter. Can I just say one thing? Um, if you are going to attend the Easter party, please book in online. The details are on the sheet there, where to go to and register online. That would be brilliant. That would help us to know in advance numbers, um, and that would be fantastic. Great. So worship and wonder. And uh, in this three-part mini-series, we've just been looking at three different Easter events, exploring three different Easter events um, and looking at the whole concept of, in life, that we have questions. Whoever has questions? Doubts, confusions, not knowing what's happening, t- difficult times. None of us are exempt from this. Even as Christians, we're not exempt from this. God doesn't promise us an easy life. But he just promised to be with us through the different challenges and trials of life. And this series, if you like, I'm, I'm really, if you're not yet a Christian, you know, we are so glad that you're with us today or listening on podcast, but I'm going to be leaning more into if you are a Christian today. So if you're not yet a Christian, then there's some stuff that you can learn about what it is to be a Christian. So feel, feel relaxed this morning. and some stuff that we can learn today. But we know the Easter story. We know the, the events from the finished conclusion, don't we? We know what's happened. And, uh, but sometimes it's good to put ourselves in the shoes, to walk in the shoes of those early disciples and apostles. And they didn't know how it's going to end up. Jesus has spoken to them about various things that would be happening. And so they were thrust into a time of turmoil, doubts, confusion, not knowing what was going to happen. We know, looking back, that Jesus had to die, suffer, but hallelujah, rise again. And that's where the Christian faith hangs on. If it just was a case of Jesus dying, then we might as well go home. But Jesus, and has been testified in various things, rose from the dead. And we have a living relationship with Jesus Christ if we ask him into our lives. But there's times when we have confusion and doubts. And as this signpost says, you maybe you have times when you feel unsure, lost, unclear, baffled, confused, puzzled, hurt. And as Christians, in those times, it can be a challenge for us to, to worship. If you like, in times of wonder, it can be a real challenge to us to worship. But God would want us to worship anyway. By way of recap, just the last couple of, month, last couple of weeks, um, the first time we looked at the anointing of Jesus in Bethany. So where Jesus went to the house of Simon the leper and uh, where Mary anointed his feet with that precious, costly perfume. And the thought that that week was, in times of crisis, worship is priceless. And the very fact that her worship, her public display of worship, very costly, 
which is precious to Jesus. And the reminder that for us as a church, whenever we gather, whether it's in a larger context or in life groups, whenever we gather, or even by yourself at home, and you worship Jesus, whatever the expression of that worship, it's precious to Jesus. It's a value to Jesus, and Jesus loves it so, so much. And then um, week two, we looked at the, the triumphal entry where Jesus rode on a, not a war horse, but on a donkey into the city of Jerusalem at the time of the, the gathering piece of, of unleavened bread or the Passover feast. And it was him declaring aloud that he is a king. He is a coming king. And the thought of that week was Jesus' king means everything in worship. And who Jesus is to you will drive, will be the big driver about how you worship. If Jesus was just a, a good man, or a good teacher, or did a few good things or miracles, then you won't worship him as we should. But if he is to you the king, it will affect everything. Everything about how we express our worship, everything about how we live our lives. Amen. And Jesus came riding on that donkey because it was symbolizing not victory, but donkey being the symbol of peace. That God ultimately wanted to bridge the gap and bring peace between our heavenly father and mankind, humankind, who've done things that are wrong and it had to cost someone their life and it cost Jesus. And the great thing there is if we give our lives to Jesus, we can know peace with our heavenly father through his act and death and resurrection on the cross. And that is wonderful. And I'm just so excited about today. I'm excited about what's happening in life of the church. And uh, I want to just uh, encourage you. Uh, do you know what? In God's presence comes at different times. God's presence comes when there's times when there's going to be a miracle. Yeah? God's presence comes. And we know times when we can feel something. You may not have the language to know what God's presence feels like. But you might f- feel a bit funny. You might think in, terms of, in a good way. Some people might feel a bit goosebumply. Some people might feel a sense of expectation or where faith is high. But God's presence comes at specific times. When, when people are going to give their lives to Jesus, God works in our hearts in advance. God prepares our hearts and draws us in. It may not be it, after our first visit to a church service. It might be two, three, four, five visits. It doesn't matter. It could be at your room, in your bedroom at home. But God draws us into relationship. God's presence comes. God's presence comes when there's a sense that God's going to perform a miracle. Heal someone. God's presence comes also in times of worship. When a group of people gather together with a heart that says, I want to worship Jesus, God's presence comes. Um, Please don't misunderstand my heart behind any of these messages. God is doing a work in me. Amen. God is doing a work in me at the moment. And God wants to do a work in you. And I am not in the least frustrated with anyone or anything But as a leader, we've got to bring challenge because God is challenging me. God is challenging me. So I'm bringing to you what God is challenging me about because he wants to stir us up to be a people that know what it is to worship God. Because when we worship God, you know, all things are possible. Amen. All things are possible. I've had a a birthday this week. I know I don't look 22. Uh, thanks, Pete. Yeah, you can times that by two, maybe. Um, but yeah, and so, yeah, I had a birthday, and I, it was on uh, Wednesday, 
and Leanne took me for lunch on Wednesday and did various things. But I said to Leanne this, this year, because when you've got a midweek birthday, it's not the same, is it? When it falls on a, on a Saturday or weekend, you can party, you can celebrate. When it's on a Wednesday, bang, in the middle of the week, it's like, what are you going to do? So I said, Leanne, what I want to do, I want to go out as a family at the weekend. I just want to go to some sort of theme park where the kids are going to enjoy it. And so yesterday, we had a day out as a family and went to West Midland Safari Park. Ooh, who's been to there before? So we took Daniel there when he was like 18 months, so he didn't know, remember a thing. He pretended he did, but he didn't. Um, but the kids loved it. Now, the big thing of the West Midlands Safari Park was and is the, um, the safari, where you get in your car and you drive around through all the different things, the giraffes, um, the lions, the tigers, the Bengal tigers, all sorts of, there's some weird-looking animals, tell you. God must have had a good sense of humor when he created some of those. Um, but yeah, and uh, it's some of the parts, you're not allowed to open your windows, doors or anything. And I don't know, at one point we were going to the Bengal Tigers, I think it was, and I, I, I just started to open my window, because <laughs> it was quite hot. Yesterday was a bit of a mixed day, wasn't it? Like, it's raining one minute, it's hot the next minute. It's getting quite hot in the car, so we undid it, and suddenly there was a big voice and a, and a Dantenoi saying, Excuse me, will you please drop your window? So um, yeah, I did it up quickly. So to kids, kids, never open, open your windows during the lion's den, okay. So we went to there, um, but one memory I have of yesterday in particular is we went to, it wasn't even a big attraction, it was just like looking at some of the different sea, um, uh, sea life and insects, and one of them was this thing called, went to, it was called the, the leaf cutter ant. The leaf cutter ant, okay. And I was mesmerized, I was probably stood in front of this glass window, um, these are found in, in South America. And I was probably sat there for about probably good three or four minutes just watching them. What they had was this, um, this tree, this, this branch, and these, these no word of a lie, these, these ants, we all know what the size of ants were. These were no bigger or smaller than normal ants, but they were carrying on their back literally this huge cut, cutting of a leaf. But they were going with pace. They were literally, here's a branch, they were going... And like literally row after row of them. And then they'd be coming back empty-handed or empty-backed. And then back again. And I thought, wow, that's amazing how, how, how quickly they're moving with this big leaf on their back. And uh, this, this wording here has actually been taken. I took a photograph. Um, it's actually taken from the, the display that we saw yesterday. And it says the, about the leaf cutter ant or the atta serifolites. Let's call it the leaf cutter ant. Leafcutter ants carry leaves back to the nest to grow a special fungus which makes up their diet. The colony is made up of soldiers, workers, and a queen who can live up to 10 to 12 years. Wow, isn't that amazing? But it got me thinking. I just had a moment there where I just felt I had to take a photo and I had to remember this moment. And it got me thinking that actually the motivation behind these, these ants, the motivation behind what they did on a daily basis was all linked to their diet. Sounds like some of us, doesn't it? What they did on a daily basis or a minute-by-minute minute basis was all linked about their food and their diet. And I thought, that is, God, what are you trying to say there? There's something to unpack there. And I thought about today. I thought about our lives, that our lives, in times of good times, 
our motivation is easy to, to worship the Lord, isn't it? It's easy to worship God. It's easy to thank God for things. In times when things are going well, you've just had a, a, a pay rise at work, or you've got a new job, or, or you, you've moved, or you've got a new baby, and all these different great things and celebratory points of, of our lives. But when difficult times come, sometimes we can lose our motivation to worship. What does that look like? Difficult times in our relationships. You might fall out with someone. You know, it, it, might, it might be in your marriages. Difficult times when it's not quite as going smoothly at the moment. Or times at work where you've got the pressures of life and or fallouts with colleagues or in your neighborhoods. Or even like when we get older, the, the aches and pains we have in our bodies. Ill, Ill health. Different things can cause us to lose our motivation in worship. And I just want to unpack a few th- thoughts today about these ants. See, we've been speaking the last few weeks about worship and our expression of worship. Praise. Praise being a, a, a way of just, just where faith arises. We worship God boldly and expectation arises. We spoke a little bit about how uh, worship is, is where it's more intimate. Worship means to, to lean towards, to kneel. It's more of an intimate time. But worship isn't just about how we gather and how we express our worship in music or jumping, dancing, clapping. Because worship, as we know, is a lifestyle. And I've just got this thought for us today. That if worship is worthwhile, make it your lifestyle. Think about the ants. If worship is worthwhile, make it your lifestyle. Think about those ants on a daily basis. Their motivation was about their diet, their food. What are they going to do to feed them? And if you're a Christian here today, what are you going to do to feed yourself, but also feed your appetite and your desire to worship Jesus through the various expressions of our lives? So if you've got your Bible, please turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Just to let you know, we're going to be having a time of of communion straight after my message today as a way of our response. Because we're looking today um, at the third and final in a series of, of events in the life of Jesus. And we're looking at the, the Last Supper. The meal of the Passover or the Cedar. And we're looking, at, please turn to Luke chapter 22. It will appear on the screen for you. And we're looking, we're looking at Luke chapter 22 verses 14 to 27. And I'm so glad that the word of God can help us understand a bit about the motivation behind our worship and what that worship can look like on a day-to-day basis as we look at none other than Jesus. Jesus in his final moments who is going to face anguish, suffering for you and I. In verse 14, when the hour had come, he, that's Jesus, sat down and the 12 apostles with him. Then he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Wow. He's so wanted. He's been so longing to have this, this, this Passover meal. The Passover meal or the cedar is the meal that um, is, is at during this, this celebration time that, remember, that celebrates how the Hebrews were set free from their slavery in Egypt through the hand of Moses. 
And the Passover, if you remember, was a time when, through various miracles, uh, Moses had to perform these miracles before Pharaoh, the king of Egypt at at the time, to say, look, God is real. And each time, Pharaoh's heart was hardened to not let the people, the Israelites, go free. And the last sign was going to be a sign of judgment, a sign where the firstborn males in every family, as the angel of the Lord, would pass over those households, the firstborn would die. You think, well, isn't that harsh? I thought God's loving and kind, but God's a God of justice. God's a God of justice. But what he said is for the Hebrew people, if you put on the, on the, the doorframe, the lintel of your, of your homes, the blood of a lamb, every home where that blood is seen, that home would be protected. That home would be protected. And that's what happened. And so from generation to generation, the, he, the Jews, the Jewish people, have this Passover meal. And they still have it even today, coming up to this time of year. So as Christians, we, we piggyback on the back of that because Jesus then did things in Easter. And, but Jesus was still a Jew. And Jesus wanted to have this Passover meal at this time. Fervent desire, I have decided to have this Passover before I suffer. Verse 16, for I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, among yourselves. And we, during our times of communion service, we have a cup. During then it was wine. Today we, we, we use juice. That represents the wine. He says to them, divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And at that time it would have been mitzvah, which is unleavened bread. Because for the Jews, leaven represents sin. So during the time leading up to this, they'd clear the house of anything that was, had leaven in it. It was symbolic. It was a, a sense of a cleansing before God. And today, the bread, which represents Jesus' body, what's going to be broken and busted for us. We remember that. And we take part of that and celebrate what he did for us. That he had to suffer. He did have to suffer. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. But behold, the hand of my betrayer is with me on the table, and truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to him by by that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. And I just want to bring just a couple of things to light very quickly before we move on in our reading. So there are actually um, various emblems in the Passover meal, which symbolizes various things. You'd have bitter herbs. You'd have the unleavened bread, which represents, obviously we've mentioned, um, Jesus' body. It was going to be broken. But unleavened means without sin. And also, they'd have a, at the time, they'd have a, la- a lamb, a firstborn lamb, and they would um, kill it. Today, during the Passover meals, um, Jews would just have a, a lamb shank that represents um, the lamb that takes away sin. And also, they would have four cups of wine. During the meal, they'd be drinking three cups of wine. Okay? 
and they represent different things. They represent, number one, um, God's identification with the people, the Israelites, as they were in slavery. And I want to say this today. God identifies with you and your situation. He does. He knows exactly how you feel, what you're facing, what you're going through. Isn't that a great thing? That God Almighty knows you. He's got your address. The second cut represents redemption. How God had a plan. A man with a plan. God had a plan to redeem humankind from their sin, from their misgivings, their misdoings. And we all do things wrong, don't we? God's got a plan. God's got a plan for your life. If you, whether you know him or don't know him today, God's got a plan for you. He wants us to respond to him. The third cup represents... I can't remember right in there. Uh, so redemption, and he, he made the way possible. But the fourth cup, this is the interesting one. The fourth cup was drunk after the meal. So the first three cups were drunk during the, uh, the meal itself. The fourth cup was poured afterwards. So you notice how during that passage, Jesus says, here's the wine, distribute it amongst yourself. He says, here's my body, here's the bread, it's broken for you. And here's, the f- here's, here's a cup which represents the remission of sins. The fourth cup represents the cup of Elijah. The fourth cup represents, if you like, the coming of the Messiah. And Jews today still take the Passover meal and they're still waiting for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah being a hero figure prophesied, foretold from the Old Testament that would come and set and and take over the nation of Israel and lead them and save them. But Jesus was that coming king. Jesus was that Messiah. And what Jesus was saying is this fourth cup, this Messiah, this is me. This is me. So we can take communion in a little while with a bit of understanding in a sense that we've got Jesus' body that was busted and broken for our sins. There's the pieces. And Jesus' blood that had to be spilt for us but also a symbol that Jesus is king, that Jesus is that Messiah. It's amazing. We can carry on with our reading in verse 24. I love this. Jesus has just done a profound thing. And then the disciples start to argue. Have you ever, in your life, you know, you've had a great time of blessing with God or God's been speaking to you or whatever, and suddenly there's an argument that arises about something. Something really silly, you know. Isn't it amazing how these things happen? Verse 24. Now there was a dispute among them as to which of them should be considered the greatest. There's Jesus saying, I'm the coming king, I'm the Messiah. And there's the, the disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, as those who exercise authority over them are called benefactors. But not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? It is not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as the one who serves. And this whole account is in all four Gospels. When it's in all four Gospels, we've got to take note of everything that is happening at this time. But I love the way that John expounds this. And he says that Jesus then took a towel, and a bowl full of water. And in those times, as we know, they wore sandals. 
and it was all sort of desert, arid climes. And so their feet would come dirty. So as they entered a household, generally the, the servants of the household would, would uh, wash the people's feet, just keep them fresh, and then dry them with a towel. But no one had done this at this Passover meal, this precious meal that Jesus had longed to have with his apostles, his disciples. And Jesus starts to model another form of worship called service. He didn't have to. He could have said, hey, Pete, come on, get the bowl, get the towel, wash our feet. But he didn't. He said he got a towel, got the water, knelt down, and washed his disciples' feet. Then he came to, to Peter and says, Lord, you'll never do this to me. And Jesus says, if you don't allow me to do this, you have no part with me. So then he says, well, Peter says, well, wash all of me. He says, no, you're already clean. You're already clean. And Jesus was modeling something. Jesus, the king, the king, remember, the king, the Messiah, was modeling something very profound, which is all about service. Service. Wonderful. And then we jump to, um, continuing the passage reading, to Luke chapter 22, verse 41. And after that, they left there, that place, and they went to the Mount of Olives, as was their custom. And Jesus left um, two of his disciples to pray. He says, don't fall asleep. And in verse 41, whoever falls asleep while praying, you can tell with the red patch on the forehead. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me, Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more, more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Wow. Jesus, and we have to understand this, Jesus wasn't in just an appearance of a man. Jesus, God, was man. And Jesus did not want to die. Would you? Would you want to face everything that Jesus was about to face? Jesus did not want to because he knew it was going to cost him. So in his prayers, like, God, come on, if there's another way, if there's another way, let that way happen. But in it, he, he says, nevertheless, let your will be done. Isn't that amazing? Let your will be done. And there is great freedom in surrender. Surrender comes from the old, it comes from the English word sur meaning over. Render means to give, to give over, to yield, to give over your will. Your will to someone or something else, to yield to someone else. Jesus yielded his will to his Father in heaven as he was praying these things. And Most of my last passage, and we're just going to, a couple of things to think about, is this. In John's account, Jesus talking about will, surrender. Jesus says about a fruitful grain of wheat. See, what's happened is in the feast at another time, some Greeks, I mean, there's people of all nations coming to celebrate the Passover, and some Greeks have heard about what Jesus has done by raising Lazarus from the dead. And some Greeks say, find um, Philip and say, look, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. And so Philip finds Andrew and says, look, I've got some Greeks that want to find Jesus. And, and then Jesus and Andrew go to Jesus. And Jesus responds by saying, the hour has come 
that the Son of Man should be glorified. That's to die. Should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. Jesus already shown in a public display that he was the king, riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. He was the king. But if he stayed there, if he stayed in that situation, he wouldn't produce fruit. But John goes on to say, but if it dies, if that grain of wheat dies, dies, if our will dies, if we surrender our lives, if we die to what we want and open our lives to what God wants, if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. For where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. And what Jesus is saying is, in all your living, in all your life, the most important thing is to do what God wants, to do the will of God. If we die to what we want, and so often we have these struggles and passions in our lives, you know, wrestling. Sometimes it's wrestling between doing what's the wrong thing, sin, versus doing God's way. Sometimes it's a wrestle between doing what God wants from our lives. Maybe God's got a calling upon your life into an area of ministry or service, and there can be a wrestling. But God says, just die to that. Die to your will and open up your heart to God's will. And when we do that, we're fruitful beyond measure. We're fruitful. The will of God brings fruit. The will of God always brings fruit. Doing what we want will not. The fruitful grain of worship. So a couple of things really quickly just to help us with this. If worship is worthwhile, make it your lifestyle. By two things, just to expand on this. Number one, through service. Do you know what? There is no greater way of showing our worship, expressing our worship, than through serving. Number one, serving Jesus. Do you know what? If when you're a Christian, God calls you to live a life of mission, you may not need to cross the seas, but you can cross your streets. You can cross your neighborhoods. You can share, even through practical ways, the love of God, what God has done to you and through you, the difference he is making. But we also have to use words as well, don't we? As Peter writes, when someone asks for the hope that you have within you, be ready to give a defense. We're not about taking our Bibles and pounding people in their heads with them. It's about sharing and showing the love of God in practical ways, but also verbally. And God wants us to own our service. Own your service. You know, there's a difference between someone that is uh, an employee and someone that is the owner of a business, isn't there? Someone that as an employee shows up, might show up on time, might show up a little bit early, might sometimes show up a little bit late. But the owner has the sense of responsibility. A God in our lives and in your life wants you to own the world where God has placed you. He wants you to own your neighborhood. He wants you to own your streets, your, your workplaces, just by living your life out in a day-to-day, saying, God, today I just want to live for you. Help me to serve you. Help me to worship you. And to do that, express that through the way I serve other people, love other people, 
in the place where you have put me. God wants you to own your world. Own your world in church. Own your world in church teams. When the brilliant teams that we have continue to serve brilliantly, but own it. Owner takes something and makes it better. Owner doesn't just work within a set uh, framework, but ownership is about taking something and making it even more brilliant. There's entrepreneurs in here that can take things and make them even better. Entrepreneurs in business, entrepreneurs in creativity and how you work and serve. Do that. Do that in church, but do that outside these four walls. Do that in your world. May be the best employee in your workplace. The best employee. Aim to be the best. Not to make a main name for yourself, but to make a name for Jesus. Take your responsibilities, your areas, and make them more fruitful more uh, and better. And secondly, and finally, God wants us to, um, to surrender. To surrender. Do you know what? Sometimes we wrestle with things. We wrestle with the will of God. I've said this before. Worship, the greatest act of worship that you can ever do is to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. That is the greatest act of worship. We've spoken about singing and dancing and all that sort of stuff. But the greatest act of worship is to do just that. It starts, it starts when we give our lives to Christ. When we say, okay, Jesus, I don't understand it all. But I'm beginning to believe I repent or change my mind of the way I'm living. Forgive me for my sin. I want that brand new relationship with you. That's about surrender. That's about giving over your life to Christ. But then we have a life, we live a life full of next steps, full of continuously giving over our lives. And, and sometimes we, we walk in our life and we think, okay, situation, we've got a decision point. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And God says, that's fine. But you can't progress. Okay, God, I surrender my will. Not my will, yours be done. You take a step forward. Then we come up against another challenge, another situation. God, let your will be done. God, I can't do that. It's too big for me. And each time God is increasing your capacity, your capacity to serve him, your capacity to be more fruitful for him, where God has placed you in the world that he's placed you in. God wants you, your life, to bear fruit. So when we are in front of him at the end of our lives, we can say, God, God, God say, well done, good and faithful servant. We've done the best with what he's given us. We've stewarded it well. We've lived our life well. We've not lived a perfect life because none of us do. We've, made, we've said sorry for the mistakes that we make, even on a daily basis. But God, make my life fruitful. Church, I just get a sense that we're in a season that God wants to do some incredible things through us as a church. I love it. I love the analogy of, of Gideon and his mighty men. Gideon could have had an army of 10,000, but God used an army of 300. And as we yield as individuals, and we've got a room full of people that even aren't here today, of amazing people that know that have served God for many years, some on a brand new walk with God, some been many years. But when we have a heart that says, God, I want to serve you. God, I surrender. I surrender. I feel even now that God is speaking to some of you about surrender. There's an aspect in your life that you've been wrestling with. And God would say, surrender. 
Because when you surrender, you will know the biggest freedom that you've ever seen. When you try and hold on, you might feel you've got freedom. But when you surrender, your life will experience a greater sense of freedom than you could possibly know. Because serving the living God, serving King Jesus, brings freedom. It's because it's the greatest act of worship we could ever do. And just imagine if we as a church decided, come on, in every aspect of my life, I'm going to surrender my life. I'm going to live my life daily, like those ants, as an act of worship, giving over, serving other people, loving other people, maybe daily expressing worship to God, praying through song, music, prayer, whatever it looks like, gathering together. I just know, I just know that God wants to do some amazing things. I encourage you, keep your praise alive. Keep your expression of worship alive. It's not just about servitude. It's not just about servants. It's about God wants us to express our love to him. And when we do that, that unlocks something in our lives. And I'm so excited because as we as a church grow in our outward expression of worship, remember it's a sign to unbelievers that God is in the house. That sometimes you can sense with a cut with a knife that sense of expectation and faith of what God wants to do. But God wants to do something. And church, God is speaking to me about this. God has been to me about this. I'm not just sharing a sermon, a message. God has been to me about this, about the whole area of surrender. And sometimes we think we've, we've got it sorted, but we haven't. We're all on a journey, aren't we? But God wants to bless you as you surrender your lives to Christ. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. For many more resources and for more information, visit our website at www.life.com dash cc dot org